1: Hello, thanks for finding us. Welcome along. It's a brand new episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly. My name's Dan. Also, thank you for all of your fantastic messages congratulating us on winning the best podcast in the history of the universe award uh, two times in a row. I-, I-, I think a podcast from somewhere in the, uh, the nebula uh, won it three times in a row. I can't be sure, but if we can make it three times in a row... Oh. I'll be over the moon, literally. Uh, We'll find out about that next year, though. We've got 12 months to wait before the awards come up again. This week on the show, uh, we're learning about one of the most deadly-looking animals that I've ever spied. You can find out about that. Also, how NASA are getting on sending people back to the moon. And we've got your questions this week. It's on wet hands uh, and travel sickness. That's coming up. First, let's catch up with one of our favorite geniuses on the show. This is Professor Halux.
2: Professor Halux builds a body is produced by Fun Kids with support from the Welcome Trust.
3: Hello again, cheeky chemists. I'm Nurse Nanobot, and it's time to join Professor Halux again in his laboratory. Well, he calls it a laboratory. It's more like a milk floats crashed into a bread factory. What a mess! There's clouds of flour filling the place, and huge washing up bowls full of beakers and test tubes. And there are books all over the place. Some of them look like recipe books. And I think I can smell something cooking. Smells like curry. Brainbox Professor Hallox is attempting to build his very own human body full of all those gory but very important bits. Let's find out
4: what he's up to today. Something to do with the cooking, perhaps? Hi there and welcome back to my lab. Yes, nurse. As always, you've hit the nail right on the head. I'm adding a tongue to my body today so he will be able to taste things. And what better way to test it out than with a wonderfully spicy curry? Back to work. Over to you, Nurse!
3: The tongue is a sort of muscle. Actually, it's made up of several muscles which work together. It's the only muscle in your body which is only attached at one end. The front part is very flexible. It has to be to help you talk, move food about...
4: And to stick it out at people you don't like,
3: of course! (laughs) That's rude! The back of your tongue is thicker. Its job is to help move the food down your throat or oesophagus and also make the sounds of the letters C and G. If you try to say "go" or cake without moving your tongue, you'll see how it wants to help. <coughs> Underneath your tongue is the frenulum. It's a thin piece of tissue which keeps your tongue in place and stops you
4: swallowing it with a gulp. I've made a lovely long tongue for my body, thin at the front, and thick at the back, and here's the frenulum. But what I need now is to help this boring old tongue get fizzing with flavours. I'll be adding some papalai. Tell them, nurse. Great wee things, papalai!
3: If you look very closely at your tongue, you'll see that it has bumps all over the top, although it's smooth on the bottom. There are so many bumps on the top that there are hardly any gaps between them. These are the papillae. You might have socks or soft slippers that have rubber spots on the bottom to stop you slipping. Well, part of the papillae's job is to do the same thing, helping to get a grip on the food and move it along. They also contain the taste buds. Taste buds can detect a wide variety of flavours, from sweet and sour through to bitter or salty flavours. And you probably have twice as many taste buds as your parents do. We lose taste buds the older we get.
4: That's probably why grown-ups don't eat so many sweets or curries when they're older. They can't make out all the tastes.
3: Each taste bud contains microscopic hairs called villi. These send messages to the brain about the taste coming in. And although it's great to be able to enjoy all the terrific tastes... An important reason that things have tastes is to help us avoid danger. To stop you eating something that is poisonous or has gone off. Like drinking milk that is too old. Cold things prevent the messages getting through to the brain as quickly as normal. And so that's why ice cream won't taste as sweet as a milkshake. Although both are very tasty.
4: Right. More or less screwed in the taste buds. Golly, there are lots of them! Don't forget to tell them about the noses job in all of this. Without it, you couldn't taste much at all!
3: There are special things up your nose called olfactory receptors. They're a bit like the villi that send messages about taste, but they do the job for smell. Now, taste and smell are very closely connected. Things that smell good usually taste good too. And if something smells bad, it's unlikely you'll want to put it in your mouth. The smell of food also adds to the taste. If you eat a spoonful of curry when you're holding your nose, you might find it isn't as tasty. That's also why when you have a cold and your nose is blocked, food can taste bland and boring.
2: Horrible old anatomy fact.
3: (laughs) Newt's tongs might sound like something from a witch's brew, but it's exactly the sort of ingredient that herbalists 600 years ago would have used in their potions to cure their patients. Another ingredient was worms'
4: livers. or old newts. Those funny ingredients probably didn't help much. They certainly didn't help the newts. Although some of the herbs they used are still used in medicines today.
2: Disgusting. Drool,
3: dribble, slobber, spit All names for saliva Not very nice stuff out of your mouth Whether it's from a slobbering dog Or someone naughty spitting Yuck Some people have a fear of saliva Normally other people's And that phobia has a very curious name q liskan phobia
4: Quite a mouthful Talking of mouths, inside your mouth saliva is really helpful. It washes the food down, keeps everything good and moist, and contains some bug fighting stuff too. Just pouring a salver of saliva into my body's mouth. (coughs) Right. My amazing body has a lovely rubbery tongue with thousands of taste buds all ready for a slurp of my curry. Let's let the lightning loose! Brilliant! It's worked! I think he's hungry! Who wouldn't be with this delicious Danzac right here? Mmm. That's my work done for today. Next time, we'll be giving our body a set of teeth so he can get to grips with something a bit crunchier. Hope you could join us then!
2: Professor Hullock's Builds a Body is produced by Fun Kids with support from the Welcome Trust.
1: let's do your questions then question time on the show if there's anything you're thinking about with science anything you can't get your head around if you'd like it explained to you let me know by leaving it as a review over on apple podcasts uh, Pramer has done that this week who wants to know why does your skin get wrinkled when it's wet have you ever noticed that when you've been in the pool or in the bath for quite a long time you bring your hands out And it looks like some ancient prune has taken over your fingers. Now, your skin is covered in a thin layer of oil. It's called sebum. And it helps protect it and keeps it waterproof. But when you've been in the pool for a long time, it washes it away. Now, for a long time, people thought that your uh, water got into the skin and puffed it up. That's why it went wrinkly, because it absorbed all the water. But now scientists think it's something to do with evolution. It's an automatic response by your body to help you out if you're underwater. Think about it. It's easier to grip and hold on to wet things with wrinkly fingers, isn't it? That's why scientists think you get it now. Uh, imagine it like, you know, the tyres of your mum or dad's car. They've got those grooves in it. That's tread to, to help stick it to the road. Uh, It's probably the same thing with your fingers, why they go wrinkly. Thank you, Pramer. This one is from Nathan, who wants to know, how do those little metal bands stop travel sickness? Have you ever seen these? Sometimes people who get sick in the car, they wear these little brass bracelets around their wrist, and they might think they help them out, but why is it? Uh, It's all about pressure points, which is the idea that you've got these little points all over your body that touch nerves, and nerves send messages to your brain. Now the idea is that the bracelet touches a pressure point in your wrist, which knocks something called the median nerve, which interrupts the messages that are being sent between your brain and your belly, which tells them that it's sick. By hitting that nerve, it stops your brain from thinking that you're travel ill, uh, so it can't happen. That's the idea anyway. Uh, Thank you very much for your questions. If you've got something that you'd like answered on this show next week, find the Science Weekly on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Leave it there. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Very excited this week. Uh, I I don't use this title often, but I would say it's a friend of the show. Adam Kay, hugely best-selling author, comedian, uh, was once a doctor. He's got a brand new book out. It's called Kay's Marvelous Medicine. Adam, how are you?
2: I'm all right. How's it
1: going? I'm very well, thank you. I actually might have... Uh, done you something bad there. I said
2: you you were once a doctor. Are you still a doctor technically? I don't really know. I don't work as a doctor, um, but I still say I'm a doctor. when I'm trying to get like a better table at a restaurant or try and get upgraded on a flight, which doesn't work, by the way. But I, I, I still give it a go.
1: I know that there's quite a lot of training that has to be done to become a doctor and you have to make oaths and all of that. When you give up becoming a doctor, is it the same? Do you have to hand back the stethoscope and the gown?
2: No, that that should be part of it because they make a big deal of it when you qualify, which is fair enough because you have to go to university for five or six years. But yeah, maybe when you give up, you should have to, you know, sort of sort of cut like when you, when your credit card doesn't work anymore because you've got a new one, you have to cut it up and put it in the bin. Maybe they should do that with the white coat. Exactly, I I think they could be doing this a little bit grander. Uh,
1: now the new book is uh, Kay's marvelous medicine. Uh, we, we've heard from you already this year about another book that you were making. Uh, how is there so much about medicine and the body to, to write about, Adam?
2: Well, I just told you it takes you five or six years at university to learn it all. It's gonna, <laughs> it's, it's hard to get out the way. And um, Coenzyme was already like four hundred pages long. There was quite a lot in it, and it was a real faff to write. Cause it took ages, um, but. As I was writing it, I was realising there were all these things that I wanted to include, but I couldn't because otherwise the book would be too heavy to pick up and things like that. Um, And so one of the big things that, that, that I left out of Cade's Anatomy was the history of how we understand all we understand about the body and more importantly how we got everything wrong and we um and we just sort of didn't have any idea whatsoever how it worked like in the days before blood transfusions uh where they would ask patients to drink wee or drink dog's blood instead which obviously didn't didn't work particularly well and also to celebrate the amazing people who've invented the stuff that we rely on every day today whether that's x-rays whether that's antibiotics or or vaccines which of course are very big news at the moment you said
1: that back in the day in history we didn't really know anything about treating humans why did doctors back then think that they did what what led them to believe that drinking dogs blood w- was a good cure for something
2: i don't know generally you know some big important person back thousands of years ago declared something was true and and the doctors that for the for the following centuries never thought to say Hmm, Not sure about that. That sounds a bit weird. So like um, in ancient Egypt, if you had toothache, they would say um, to put a dead mouse in your mouth. Didn't work. Um, In ancient Rome, um, they would advise using we as a mouthwash. But strangely, that did work because um, we has got um, a substance called um, urea in it. Um, which contains something called ammonia, which is actually a, um, a, 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 an actual cleaning product that, 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 that works. Um, but I would advise that if you do uh, want to use mouthwash, probably going to the chemist and getting some of the stuff off the shelf is a lot better than, um, than the old wee solution.
1: There's quite a lot of different types of medicine through history. I mean, on the front cover, you, you see the skeleton of a pharaoh and his brains popping out. How did you figure out which disgusting parts of history to include in the book?
2: Uh, I chose the stuff that made me go ooh, or that made me so go. Ugh. So um, there was there was lots of stuff like that. And interesting pharaohs and brains are really important. So um, when uh, when the ancient Egy- Egyptians had, you know, had a king, that they were going to turn into a, a mummy or a queen or whoever or someone important, then. Um, before they wrapped them up in toilet roll or whatever they use cloth probably, um, they first of all took out all of the organs from the body. And the heart, they thought, was the most important one. So that was placed back inside the body. Things like the liver and the kidneys and the intestines, they thought, were quite important. So they were put in big fancy jars that sat next to the body uh, so they could join the body on its journey to the afterlife, which they thought was going to happen. The brain, they thought, was literally a load of rubbish. So what they do is they just pulled it all out through the nose and then chucked it in the bin. They literally thought it was just stuffing that held the skull together. So when I read something like that, how could I not put that in the book? Because that is that is good knowledge that, uh, you know, a few thousand years ago, they didn't even think the brain did anything at all.
1: <laughs> so looking back on this, researching medicine from the past, when do you believe doctors actually started to... Know something smart. When were they on the right track that led us towards uh, good medicine that we've got today, hopefully?
2: Three thousand years ago in India, um surgeons were sewing up intestines if, you know, there was a problem with, with the gut and they needed to remove a bit. They did the, the, the same way of sewing them up that we still do today, pretty much. I mean, it's using staples, although these days we use metal staples. In those days, um, they got giant ants. And they clamped their jaws over the two edges of the intestine. And then it was all sort of squeezed shut. And then they twist off the ants' heads, just leaving the heads there. So there was this sort of big line of ants' heads on the intestine. So, I mean, a slightly different method, but exactly the same way that that, that we do it today. So thousands of years ago, there were some, you know, big discoveries like that. And then um, ah, they were... They were starting to get their, um, their, their stuff together about 200 years ago. So like um, vaccines, in 1796, vaccines were invented by this guy called Edward Jenner. And um, there was obviously a vaccine is a tiny dose of something that doesn't give you an illness, but instead stops you getting a bad illness. So there was this awful illness going around, not just the UK, but all around the world, called smallpox. And this was before antibiotics were invented, and there was no way of treating it. And it was, it was a really nasty thing to get. And it was very infectious. Loads of people got it. Um, they spotted that milkmaids never seemed to get smallpox People who worked with cows all the time never got it. And they realized that what was probably happening is that these milkmaids were catching cowpox, which is like a similar thing that affects cows, but it didn't give them any symptoms at all. It was really, really mild. So Edward Jenner went to a milkmaid who had a bit of cowpox, found a horrible pussy blister on her back, popped the blister, squeezed the pus out of it, and then injected The pus from this blister, sorry if anyone's eating breakfast or lunch at the moment, injected the pus from this blister into the son of his gardener, who was a little boy called James, and then watched as everyone else around got smallpox. But this gardener's son, James, didn't get it. So that kid was the first person who ever got a vaccine. I must say that the vaccines we are given today are much less disgusting. And they're not just... um, uh, blister pus
1: <laughs> I, I, I would hope not there's a lot of talk about vaccines I think people would be more angry uh, some people if they found out it was just pussy blisters uh, so that's about the history it makes me think about the future of medicine Adam because I mean, people back then people hundreds and hundreds of years ago they didn't know they were barking up the wrong tree how much do you think medicine might change in a couple of hundred years and everything that we've been doing so far they'll look they'll look at us like we were silly fools
2: i think at every point in history everyone thinks they're doing everything absolutely right the ancient Egypt, egyptians thought they were totally right by chucking the brain in the bin um uh and uh, you know a few hundred years ago like 600 years ago um they they thought that you could uh stop yourself getting uh bubonic plague by pressing a chicken's bum against her armpit. They thought that was 100% correct. Everyone always thinks they're right. I am certain that in a couple of hundred years' time, some futuristic person will be wandering around in their spacesuit and they'll pick up a copy of Kay's Marvelous Medicine and they'll say, this is nonsense. Can you believe that? And, uh, and yeah, because the brilliant thing is discoveries are happening all the time. And I love the idea that someone might read this book and think, I know I'm going to be a scientist. I'm going to be the person who discovers the next big thing. And, and then they will be in, in a future textbook.
1: Now, just to finish very quickly, you, you, you talked about some uh, body organs earlier on. And it got me thinking that I actually don't know what they all do. Like we know, we know what the heart does, we know what the brain does, we know what the lungs do. Uh, what does the what does the intestine do?
2: So the intestines are your guts, and so that is all of the all of your digestive system from your the bottom of your stomach to. I'm going to have to say "bumhole here to your bumhole. So it is first first of all, the small intestine comes off the stomach and basically is involved with um, removing all of the good stuff from the food you eat. So the idea you eat food is that it's your fuel, and uh, hopefully you're eating. Good stuff that contains all sorts of healthy fuel, and you're having, you know, nice brown bread, and you're having all your vegetables, and um, and hopefully it's not just entirely cake and ice cream. So it takes all of the good stuff out of it, and then uh, what's left travels down, 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 and hits your large intestine, which sucks all of the water out of out of it as well, And, um, and then there's some bacteria that act on the on the on the on the food. Um, And then what's left at the end is what's known uh, commonly as poo. And that comes out at the very end of your uh, of your intestine. And yeah, and that's what your intestines do. And I think you'll agree. Pretty important. What about
1: the the, the kidneys? Another mystery to me.
2: Okay, so. we're talking about still about waste products poo is a waste product there's always waste products in life uh the stuff you have to put in the recycling and and the garden waste bin and you know the empty yogurt pot. and 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 we is a waste product and so um the point of we is by clearing out some of the poisonous waste from your bloodstream and uh and it does it does this um by going through the kidneys, which are a big filter, and then through the ureters, into your bladder, through the urethra, and then out, hopefully into the toilet and not um, on, against the side of a tree unless you're my dog.
1: That's right. Sometimes on the sea. But what, the, the, the liquid that is in we, if it's got all these yeah. different these uh, this waste nutrients and stuff that we don't need, what is the actual liquid
2: made out of? Where do we get that? It is Water. So you might notice that if it's a really, really hot day or you've just played a game of football or something, you're feeling a bit dehydrated and (laughs) then your wee is uh, a much darker colour. And if you've um, if you've been just, you know, sitting at home, doing your work, doing your homework and uh, and drinking plenty of water, then your wee is so clear that it's almost um, like the colour of water. And that's because most, most, most of what's in your wee is just uh, is just water and uh, and it gets more concentrated the more dehydrated you are. And
1: lastly, I think we've done the intestines, we've done the kidneys. Uh, What does the liver do? My dad's obsessed with having it with with bacon. I'm a vegetarian, so I don't like that anyway. But what is
2: it? (laughs) Uh, I'm vegetarian as well, so I I never eat it. But I'm extremely glad that I've got a liver in the bottom right-hand corner of my abdomen. Um, It's a big organ. It's bigger than your brain it's shaped like a sort of wedge of cheese it's it's reddy brown it's a bit rubbery um if you prod it don't prod it and the the liver's got lots of uh lots of jobs um so one of them is to do with waste product it's one of the other organs that helps clean up um clean up the bad poisons in your body and 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 get rid of them it also stores fuel so um uh, it's like if you've got excess energy um it, that sometimes turns into fat around the body which is perfectly normal but um also sometimes the liver stores something called glucose um and it makes uh, a substance called bile um which um it's you might have seen bile before because it's it's a sort of yellowy green liquid that um sometimes comes up you know after you when you're being sick after you, everything else you've um you've eaten has landed on the carpet already um, but um bile's most famous because it's the thing that gives your poo it's delicious brown color sorry it's disgusting brown
1: <laughs> it all comes back to poo uh well listen great and utterly gross as always the brand new book is Kay's marvelous medicine uh, it's out right now uh, perfect for christmas i reckon adam Kay, thanks so much for joining us
2: thank you so much speak to you soon
1: For this week's Dangerous Dan, we're looking at, I think, one of the scariest spiders ever. The trapdoor spider is sleek, it's slick, and it's jet black. They've got a bulging abdomen, a huge thorax, two sharp fangs as well, with hairs all over. They're quite thick, they're stocky too. When you imagine a scary spider this is what it looks like. They can run very fast as well, pouncing on an unsuspecting insect that wanders by. Now, they get their name because they mainly live underground. Uh, They make trapdoors in burrows uh, about half a metre under the surface and then pop out of that to surprise a creature. They swipe at the prey. Quite often, they make these near rivers or streams so they can nip out and catch little fish. And they're quite aggressive, getting angry going out on the hunt. Mainly, though, and you can see this for yourself if you look at a picture online. They are on this list, because if you imagine a scary looking spider, I promise it looks exactly like the trapdoor spider. Let's catch up with our gadget genius now, this is Techno-Mum.
5: techno
4: engineering Explorer.
5: Tidying my room is so boring. Picking everything up and putting it away, or throwing it away, yuck! How that banana skin be there? How are you getting on? I bought the vacuum cleaner up. I only hope it's strong enough to cope. Never mind the hoovering. Why can't someone invent a machine to do all the tidying? Maybe you could invent one yourself. It's a real job, you know, making new machines. You mean I could be a robotic slave overlord, creating an army of mechanoids to do my bidding? I mean you could be a mechanical engineer. It's a type of engineering which is almost as old as humans. Are you sure about that, Mum? I don't think cavemen had vaccines. Machinery is anything which does a job. Even creating a spear is engineering. Hang on, I'll explain. All machines have something in common. Like I say, they're designed to do a job. Maybe the job is to vacuum the carpet. Perhaps it's to screw a light bulb into a street lamp. Or assemble a mobile phone in a factory. Whatever it is, mechanical engineers design, produce and operate machinery to carry out the work. So, mechanical engineers are kind of like inventors? Sometimes, yes. Other times they'll be helping an inventor to create their machine. Mechanical engineers understand the science behind movement and understand the properties of different materials. They also have to understand how the environment around a machine will affect things. Heat or cold can change how materials behave, so a machine which is working with molten steel might have to be built of metals which can withstand hot temperatures. Or if a machine is part of a marine expedition, it'll need to be able to function in water and cope with high pressures. And they'll have to build it out of a material that doesn't rust. That's right. Machine-centred space have to be built to withstand extremes of temperature and a lot of radiation. And as there aren't any petrol stations in space... Their power supplies have to be carefully designed to use what solar power they can gather. As you can see, different machines have different demands. Sounds like there's a lot to learn about. Yes, and it's a job which overlaps with lots of other types of engineering. Mechanical engineers often need to know computer programming or how chemicals behave, how things fly or swim, or what keeps structures stable. The possibility for creating amazing new machinery is astounding. Check out this video cool robot what's it doing this is star smart tissue autonomous robot It's a robot surgeon that's more accurate than a human when making incisions or stitching up tissue. Or how about Zhao Yi, a robot doctor? Scientists have uploaded hundreds of medical textbooks into its databanks and it's programmed to ask questions. Engineers behind these medical robots will have had to spend a long time designing the robotic systems, choosing materials and tools with which to build them and then carrying out lots of tests, making changes when things didn't work as planned. All that hard work has been worth it. These are machines that might help to save lives that's so cool there are stacks of cool engineering jobs out there almost as many as the stacks of comics under your bed are you sure you need to keep them all Mum?
1: engineering explorers
5: created with support from the institution of engineering and technology to celebrate the year of
3: engineering find out more at focus live.com technomum
1: time for this week's science in the news NASA's next-generation spaceship is ready to go on a rocket and head to the moon. The Orion spacecraft is getting ready to go on the powerful Space Launch System SLS rocket. Uh, The first flight, Orion, will fly around the moon. It will go without astronauts. And then, then the U.S. in the next year or so are hoping to get humans up there. In the next few years. Uh, also, sometimes scientists from Costa Rica have won one of the first ever Earthshot prizes. They were created by uh, Prince William to reward people for trying to save the planet. The geniuses from Costa Rica have found a way to grow coral. Coral helps the ocean breathe, it keeps it clean, and they've just won a million pounds. And finally, a Russian film crew is back on Earth after wrapping scenes for the first movie ever shot in space. On one of the last days, the ISS International Space Station unexpectedly tilted due to a glitch with the thrusters, which stopped them filming. They were up there for just under two weeks, 12 days, making the whole movie. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. If there's something scienty that you'd like answered next week, you can leave it as a review for me over on Apple Podcasts. Find us on there. There's a little comment box at the bottom. That's where you leave your question. Uh, let me know your name as well so I can say hello. And five stars always helps me see it. While you're on Apple Podcasts, it's one of the best places that you can hear loads of other podcasts that we make. You can get them on the free Fun Kids app. Take them anywhere with you and over at funkidslive.com too. And Fun Kids, we are a children's radio station from the UK. You can listen on your DAB digital radio on that free Fun Kids app. And at funkidslive.com.
0: Happy reading!